0: Bienvenidos amigos, welcome back to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, this is episode number 69. My name is Ismael San Juan, thank you so much for being here. We got to talk about Gruden, it is now Friday, you know, late night Friday, I haven't talked about it, news came out on Monday, you know, I'm ready to talk about it. Also Buccaneers versus Eagles, I've seen a lot of people hating on Jalen Hurts, I'm going to come out here and defend him a little bit, and obviously the Buccaneers look good. Chargers versus Ravens is going to be the game of the week in my opinion. Uh, The NFL has to consider about flexing matches earlier than like week 12, week 13, because this should be the Sunday night football game. Cardinals versus Browns, Mayfield versus Kyler Murray. I think this is going to be a great match too. And in the Premier League, international break is over, so we have to talk about the Premier League again. Manchester United, fourth place versus Leicester City, who's struggling 13th. I think that's going to be a great match. And the West Midlands Derby, Wolves versus Aston Villa. I think that has the potential to be a good match too. And in tennis, we're now in the Indian Wells semifinals. The quarterfinals brought us a lot of unexpected results. We'll touch on that. And I'll give a bold prediction for Andy Murray in 2022. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. So on Monday, the news broke out of Gruden. You know, all the emails, more emails leaked out showing that he's homophobic, transphobic, um misogynistic he's racist all the things that gruden claimed not to be when he addressed the media after the uh, raiders lost to the bears and throughout the week he said you know he doesn't have a racist bone in him that people you know close to him know who the person that he is and it's funny with the Dave chappelle a special that just came out closer i believe he talks about how uh the lgbtq people get more He's jealous of them. He, like he's not really making fun of them. He's he's jealous of them because uh, if you offend them, then stuff really gets going. But if you if you're racist or you attack, you know, the black community, then not a lot of stuff happens. So it was it was funny. I, I like I'm on Twitter, so Twitter always makes jokes about everything. But it, it was kind of funny seeing people like they that Dave Chappelle um, special just came out where he talks about uh, his jealousy of LGBTQ people and now that it showed that Gruden was, uh, you know, attacking that community and then he was attacking women, too. That's when news came out. That's when uh, he really faced some repercussions. I thought it was funny. I just wanted to mention that. But uh, in all seriousness, I think the reason that he got fired was just a combination of the three. Um, You know, he was being racist. Um, I kind of understood how the Raiders weren't going to fire him if it was just one email from 10 years ago when he wasn't working for the Raiders, when he was from ESPN. I mean, I could have seen them fire him. I could see why they wouldn't, like, the, the whole 10 years ago. You know, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. Like, you got to look at yourself, too. Like, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. He wasn't the same person he was 10 years ago. Even though for John Gruden, it doesn't work the same because I believe he's 56 years old, so he would have been 46 at the time. So he's he's still an old man. He You should still know what, you, what you're doing. But I could see that. I could I could see why they wouldn't fire him once these new emails came out where he's being misogynistic, he's being, um, transphobic, you know, he's being all, all those stuff and he's attacking the commissioner and he's, you know, just saying all these terrible stuff. Then at that point, like he ha- he has to go, there's no going back. His career is over. He's probably not going to go back into TV, but I just thought it was funny. Like I, those, I could see where people were like tying it to Dave Chappelle, but I don't think that was the case. I think if it, if you switch up the order, like if something, if he would have said something, um, Homophobic 10 years ago, if that would have been the first thing to pop up, I think the same thing would have kind of happened. It's like, okay, it was 10 years ago, like, he's not the same person. And then if something like, you know, racist or misogynistic came out on Monday with all the other emails, he would have, st- the same result would have happened. That's what I think, but who knows? We don't, we don't know, but it's just, it's, um, Gruden, I can see why he would feel that, you know, it's unfair. Like, they're not really investigating him. They're investigating Dyson Snyder for a whole other topic that's, you know, just beyond repercussions. Like, he should be punished. Like, I I don't understand how he's still the owner for the Washington football team. So he kind of got caught in the crossfire. But, you know, it is what it is, in my opinion. Like, if you do stupid things, do stupid rewards or something like that. Uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I think that's the saying. So Gruden, he won his stupid prize for doing stupid things. And um, in my opinion, this is only the tip of the iceberg. There's so many emails that they are going through. And, you know, Adam Schefter got caught in the crossfire, too. And that one, that one, I feel like it didn't get as much attention. But when you have one of the main or the main reporter, the main insider for the NFL working for ESPN, and he's sending a report that has to do with the lockout that, that you know, whatever he says really goes he has a lot of leeway he has like he could he could swift he could change the direction of a conversation and how the my majority of NFL fans look at a topic he could really sway the opinion of the 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 crowd or or all of us so for him to be sending Dan Snyder those articles or you know his reports before he publishes them before he sends them to ESPN that's some snake shit in my opinion like Adam Schefter he's losing his credibility, and earlier this year he kind of lost his credibility a little bit too, when he was when he reported that he didn't he didn't have an insider he didn't have no one tell him that that uh, that Aaron Rodgers was going to get traded from the Packers he like he he was it was just like a hunch that he was reporting on a hunch that oh like I didn't feel like it it was any problem for me to report it now if I knew if I had if I had a strong feeling that it was going to come out in a week in a month. Or in two months. And, you know, we're here. We're here in, you know, October uh, 15th. And Aaron Rodgers is still with the Packers. So, obviously, that hunch did not come to fruition. He might get traded next year. But he's going to play for the Packers this year. So, another bad look for Adam Schefter. But he's he's so well positioned in the NFL. He's not going to lose his job with ESPN. He's going to continue to be the main guy. This is one of those topics where for Adam Schefter, it will probably just, you know, go away. Um, For Gruden, obviously, he's lost his job, but this is crazy, man. With all those emails that are there, it's just, I I think it's all, like, there's no way that it's just these two. It's just Adam Schefter and Gruden, two ESPN employees that got caught in the crossfire at the time, two ESPN um, employees at the time. Like, there has to be other owners, coaches, uh, people that work for the NFL, higher, higher up people, Um, administration people there has to be more and more stuff in there and the NFL won't release the emails I know the people that are representing the cheerleaders or the people that got affected by Dan Snyder uh, they're asking to for for the emails to be released the NFLPA is asking for the emails to be released Uh, if anyone's keeping track I'm asking for those emails to get released too so hopefully those emails get released I doubt they're doing that I doubt they're, they're gonna do that the NFL is smarter than that uh, they're doing just enough to, you know, get people talking. You know, kind of act like they're doing something, like they're taking, they're taking initiative and they're punishing people, and there's going to be repercussions. But we all know. I mean, we could all safely imply, kind of like Adam Schefter was trying to do, that it was not just Gruden and Adam Schefter being the guys that were that were getting caught up in these emails. There's no way that it's just them two out of thousands of emails that they're looking at. There has to be more stuff in there. And I'm just like, obviously, I'm happy Gruden's out. If you're that kind of person, if you have those vile thoughts in your head, there's no way you could be a leading man, especially when they come so young. They're still super young when they come into the NFL, 21, 22, 23 years old. You're supposed to be shaping them into better people, leading them. You know, for a lot of these players, uh, their coach is like their second dad. you, You hear countless stories of players talking about their coaches just, you know, tearing up, selling him telling the media in their interviews you know just tweeting about it how much a coach meant to them so for Gruden to have that backward mentality like non-progressive and all those stuff like he had to go but I, I'm all I'm saying is that other people have to go too. there we got to look at all the emails anyone that you know is is doing shady stuff is is it's not with it is disrespectful Is not you know doesn't respect the whole locker room you got to get out of there so Hopefully they release the emails. Uh I think like I said before in one of my other podcasts the NFL is not just about watching football on Sundays. Like there's no way you could just watch it on Sundays and forget about it. Like if you just tune in on Sunday and forget about it and then watch watch the NFL on Sunday, I salute you. I don't know how you do it. But for me the NFL is like a reality show. It's it's the whole week. Like it's just crazy how much news comes out every single week. How many storylines there is, how many just influx of information week in and week out there's there's never not something to talk about like there's always something to talk about and this is just like like it's insane what's going on it's just like you could probably do a a movie like a thirty-four thirty. like after this just talking about like all the implications and the repercussions that are going to come out from dan snyder um and his misbehavior with those cheerleaders and that crazy story like there's Now we're starting to see so many things branch out of that, and I feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg. Because I hope it is. Because if 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 this is all we get, like Gruden getting fired, and you know news coming out that Adam Schefter is a shady reporter, and you know he 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 basically is uh he's talking for the for the owners in the NFL. He's like a figurehead for them. Then I don't think that's enough. Obviously Dan Snyder needs to have some repercussions too, but it looks like the NFL protects their owners. So we'll see what happens out of this. Uh, I'm curious to see what you guys think about this. So like like, as always, my Twitter handle is in the description. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to leave a comment. I'm curious to see how everyone is taking this. Obviously there's a lot of people that are saying that this is cancel culture and all this stuff, but you know, these emails were as recent as just three years ago. So like I said, like you wouldn't want your teacher, you wouldn't want your coach, you wouldn't want people that are trying to shape young people or young men into, you know, better adults and coaching them and teaching them life lessons. You wouldn't want that person in that position. So I completely, like, in my opinion, it's not even, like, a discussion. Like, Gruden, he had to go. He's gone. We're probably never going to see Gruden on TV. And he's probably never going to be a coach again. And I think that I'm fine with that because, you know, he finished bad with Tampa Bay. He wasn't really doing much with the Raiders every single Raider fan that I knew or that I know and I know I know a few like five or six Raider fans that I know they were all happy that Gruden's gone obviously they were kind of excited um, that he came back because he was a good coach for them once upon a time but I think everyone that I know that's a Raider fan was pretty happy that he's gone uh, the Monday night he was decent for Monday Night Football he had some he had some good moments he was also kind of dull sometimes but Compared to Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, I'll take those two any day. So, if Gruden's gone, you know, that's it. It's, it's, it's not... I'm not going to really miss him too much. The the, mo- the The thing I enjoyed about Gruden the most was his QB camps, but that's about it. He, he hasn't done those in a while, so I'm fine if he's, if he's gone. And for the Raiders, a lot of people are saying that's an attractive position because, you know, Derek Carr is not bad. But if I was a coach... Especially a first-time coach, I wouldn't want to go in a division with Justin Herbert and Mahomes. And obviously, you shouldn't duck anything. And if you're going to get a head coaching position, you know, you sometimes you just take what you take so you could be a head coach. But that's a tough division to go into. The Mahomes, he's like, what, 25? Herbert's like 23, 22? Like, I would not want to go into that division. But, yeah, that's all I have for this segment. Like, let, let's move on. The Buccaneers defeat the Eagles twenty-eight to twenty-two. The Buccaneers dominated the whole game, and at the end, the Eagles made it kind of close, made it a little bit interesting, made you had to you had to finish the game because the Eagles. It looked like you could have just ended. Going into the fourth quarter, at the end of the third quarter, it looked like you could have just not watched the fourth. But the Eagles, to to their credit, uh, to Nick Sirianni's credit, they played hard. They they didn't give up. They played to the end, and they made it a game twenty-eight to twenty-two. Uh Buccaneers obviously they look good they look great Antonio Brown is starting to look like his old self which is scare the, the rest of the NFL Tom Brady's talking about playing till he's 50 55 which is just ridiculous TB12 looks like you know it's he has a fountain of youth with TB12 um like I said Godwin Mike Evans um Fournette is looking good he's getting touchdowns he's getting yards um so, so the Buccaneers, man, they look dangerous. They look like they're scary. They look like the best team in the NFC and the top three, top four, and maybe even the best team in the NFL. And the Eagles, the Eagles have Jalen Hurts running, you know, getting some running touchdowns, looking inaccurate, kind of taking too long to throw the ball. That's what I'm hearing. That's what I'm, I saw too. I could see it in my eyes. Like, yeah, I see where people are coming from. Jalen Hurts needs to work on his accuracy. He needs to make decisions. A little bit quicker he he can't stare down his wide receivers like he does sometimes but I will say this I think Nick Sirianni is not helping him out with the play calling with the with the game plan Uh, I think they need to run Miles Sanders more obviously that's that's a point of emphasis that a lot of people have been saying for the Eagles these first six weeks of the season like Miles Sanders is a quality running back that line is decent enough to you know, get the run game going. Obviously, against the Buccaneers, it, it makes sense why you wouldn't run too much because they have, like, an all-time great run defense. But I think when you have Jalen Hurts and you know his limitations, he's not the most accurate. He's still, you know, working to be a quality NFL quarterback. He stares down wide receivers sometimes. You know, he takes too long to make some reads. You got to help him out. You can't have him there throwing the ball every single time. When when you know you're, his deficiencies like we as fans of the nfl like i'm not even an eagles fan but i've seen enough eagles game matches to see like okay yeah he struggles with his accuracy he struggles with you know making quick decisions he struggles you know when he has to you know go through his progressions we all can see that so obviously Nick year sees that so for him to be attempting 35 attempts to be averaging 35 attempts per game in the first six games of the season i think that's just terrible game planning by the Eagles. Terrible. They're they're kind of setting up, they're kind of setting him up to not be good, and I think that sucks for Jalen Hurts because he's a great running quarterback. He, he's fast. He's quick. And if he ever has, if he ever matures as a passer, if he ever gets a little bit more accurate, if he starts to progress, then just by the sh- sheer ability of that his legs have, he could be a top, like a top 10 quarterback, top 15, top 12. Like he has the potential to really be not just a great fantasy quarterback because I have him in fantasy and he's been great. He's been putting up points, but he has the potential to be a great quarterback too, in my opinion. But I go back to Nick Sriani because Lamar Jackson, he just had a great game against the Colts. It looked like he's finally getting it together. He's finally becoming a great pocket passer. He could bring you back with his arm. Um He's, you know, he's just crossing off all the the negative things that people have to say about him can't throw on the can't throw on the pocket can't bring a team down more than 14 can't beat the Chiefs. he's just crossing them all off like what are you saying like look at me look at me do this averaging more than 300 yards per game still rushing still being a dual threat so Lamar Jackson what is this this is year four I remember that that playoff game against the Chargers this rookie year very limited playbook. Was short and simple. Run the ball, run the ball, run Lamar Jackson, quick, quick passes, slants, you know, bootlegs. They helped him out. And it was evident because his rookie year, the most attempts he ever had. Yeah, if, if you guys remember, he took over for Joe Flacco, I believe it was like week eight or week nine. The most attempts he had in those seven or eight games that he started was 25. 25 attempts was the most he threw. He averaged 22.5 attempts his rookie year, which just goes to show the coach that Harbaugh is, the foundation, the the great franchise that the Ravens are. Gotta give him a shout out. They protected him. They kind of coddled him a little bit, but it's fine. When you're trying to get your quarterback, you're trying to get their feet wet. You're trying. You don't want them to lose their confidence because, for quarterbacks, confidence is like the, the most one of the most important things, and it's hard to get. Your confidence back, because unlike other positions, like, okay, if you lose your confidence as a wide receiver, you go down to wide receiver four. You still go out there sometimes wide receiver three, wide receiver two goes down. Boom, you're in for quarterbacks. You mess up. You lose your confidence. Next guy's coming in. You're getting benched. And if that guy never gets hurt, it's only one person. If he stays healthy, you never get another chance. You're looked at as a quarterback that couldn't throw. So this is, back to my point, 35 attempts for Jalen Hurts per game, that's ridiculous. His second year when he won the the MVP, Lamar Jackson averaged 26, 26, attempts his second year. That was his average. And he was a limited passer at that time, but the Ravens, their offensive coordinator, they knew what he could do, they they adjusted their game plan, and it worked for them. And the Eagles, they don't, obviously they're, they're playing from behind, so that kind of, um, That kind of ties into it, but still, 35 attempts per game for Jalen Hurts when we know he's not the most accurate, when we know he's a great runner. I think a different coach could be getting more out of Jalen Hurts. And like I said, the offense didn't look good with Carson Wentz the last two years. Uh, It's looked iffy at best with Jalen Hurts, but Jalen Hurts is doing a lot for this offense. He's, He's scoring rushing touchdowns. He's running the ball. He's throwing it. He showed promise against the Panthers. His accuracy, although he still looks inaccurate, his passing accuracy has gone up, has gone up like 10%. So he's shown improvement. But my fear for Jalen Hurts is, you know, the Eagle fans, Philadelphia, they have tough fans. If Seriani doesn't change the game plan, if he doesn't run Miles Sanders, if he if Jalen Hurts keeps a tenth thing 35 passes per game, I think it gets, it could get to a point this season where they might want to look somewhere else. They might want to check out Minshew, which is sad because uh, Minshew's not going to do nothing for them. Minshew Magic, he's cool. He's dope. I love the mustache. His personality's dope. But, I mean, he showed some promise with the Jaguars, so I don't want to say he can't do anything. But, like, it's obvious that Jalen Hurts has way more potential. And, if you know, if you change the game plan, if you don't let him throw that much, if you give him a couple years to work on it, I'm not saying he's going to become Lamar Jackson, but even if he improves a little bit, his passing, if he just becomes a decent passer with those legs, with that running ability, he could be something special. So, like I said, Sirianni needs to get it together. His press conferences still don't inspire anybody. Uh, He still looks like he's kind of lost. His game plan is wild. But we'll see. Uh, If any Eagles fans are listening to this, I'm curious to see what you guys think about Jalen Hurts because um, I've seen some YouTube videos, I've seen some comments, and people are already, you know, damn, we, we traded, traded Carson Wentz for this bum or stuff like that. I think this has more to do with Nick Sirianni than Jalen Hurts, but that might just be me. The game of the week for me is the Chargers versus the Ravens, Herbert versus Jackson, two elite quarterbacks, Chargers 4-1, and one, Ravens 4-1. and one. It looks like it's going to be a great matchup, and I am stoked for it. Two quarterbacks... They're young, that they're they're peaking. This season looks like they're just getting better and better. Lamar Jackson looks like a better quarterback than his MVP year. Justin Herbert looks like an MVP candidate. His second season in the league. Both of these teams have Super Bowl aspirations, and I think you know we should take them seriously. They're both two teams that score point points in bunches. They have you know they have some playmakers on defense. So I think this is going to be a great 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 game like i'm upset that sunday night football that the nfl doesn't allow um games to be flexed to like week 12 or week 13 i believe so this game should have been flexed in my opinion like if if they were just able to willy-nilly move move the matches move the schedule this should be the sunday night football game um steelers they're kind of boring this season and the seattle seahawks without russell wilson without chris carson like how much entertainment entertainment is that going to be so it is what it is. We'll watch them at 10 at ten in the morning. We'll watch them at 1 p.m. Eastern time. But like I said, this this has the potential to be, you know, the game of the season, which is crazy because we've had some great matches. But, you know, two heavyweights, two teams in the AFC, top of the AFC. I think the Ravens are the one seed. The Chargers are the two seed if the season ended today. And both the Chargers and the Ravens already beat the Chiefs. We'll see how the Chiefs bounce back. But this is starting to look like, you know, like, they're duking it out. I know it's week six, but it looks like they they might be duking it out for that number one spot in the AFC. And if you guys don't know, if you guys don't remember, there's no longer two bye weeks, two teams that get bye weeks in the first week of the playoffs. There's only one bye week. So these, this game has a lot of implication. Chargers 4-1, and Ravens 4-1. and Both teams have their eyes set on that number one seed. Getting that bye week, you play one less game in the playoffs you you get home field advantage obviously the Chargers don't really have too much of a home field advantage but i would imagine they would still rather play in sunny los angeles than you know going you know to arrowhead going to baltimore going to you know buffalo i would imagine that they would still rather you know play in los angeles so like i said if you guys have one match if you guys have one match in you for this weekend it has to be chargers versus ravens you got to keep up with the health of mike williams he's been great for the chargers we'll see how if he's able to suit up but like i said this this has all the all the makings of a great match herbert versus jackson uh hopefully they could get a little rivalry going like i've said before herbert versus mahomes is going to be one of the best um rivalries probably the best rivalry ever between two quarterbacks in one division we have a lot of good quarterbacks in the AFC. I'm talking Herbert, I'm talking Jackson, Josh Allen, Mahomes. Um we'll see wh- how these other young quarterbacks do like um Joe Burrow and um and uh who am I forgetting? Um the Jaguars quarterback, uh, Trevor Trevor Lawrence. We'll see how Trevor Lawrence does. But there's a lot of good young quarterbacks in the AFC, but I think these four are just going to start building their own rivalries between them. Herbert, Jackson, um, Josh Allen, and Mahomes, I think all four of those are just going to have some sort of rivalry with each other. Um, Herbert and Mahomes seems inevitable, but Jackson and Herbert or Jackson and Josh Allen, I think they're all just going to have important matches for their whole careers um a lot of meaningful playoff games a lot of meaningful regular season matches because they're they're all super young they're all you know they're all about to get their max contracts they're all to be they're all about to be leading their teams to the playoffs year in and year out so i'm excited herbert versus jackson for the first time what do you guys think who's going to win chargers versus ravens I, i think i'm gonna say the chargers just because you know they they handle the browns But the Ravens, oh, the Ravens, I think the Chargers have more weapons. I think Jackson has to do more with less with the Ravens. And Herbert, in my opinion, is just as good a quarterback. Jackson has improved in passing, but Herbert just looks so natural in the pocket running. Obviously, Jackson is a better runner, but Herbert does have the better supporting cast on offense. The defense, Ravens has the, the edge, but... Overall, I think it's just going to be a great match. I can't wait to see this. I am super pumped. Just two good offenses, two great teams duking it out for that number one spot in Week 6 in the AFC. Let me know what you guys think. I think Chargers win a close one. It's going to go down to the wire, but let me know what you guys think. And the second match that I want to highlight for the NFL Week 6, Cardinals versus Browns. Baker Mayfield versus Kyler Murray, the 2018 number one pick versus the 2019 number one pick. The Browns have the better roster, but the Cardinals have the better record. They're the last undefeated team in the regular season. Uh, They're 5-0. Browns come in, uh, losing to the Chargers. They're 3-2 now. And Baker Mayfield hasn't played particularly well. And Kyler Murray is the complete opposite. He's probably one of the MVP favorites. He's been great for the Cardinals. He's spreading the ball. He's getting uh, green involved. Hopkins. He's spreading the ball. He now now he's gonna have hurts, but he won't be able to play for this game. So I think for the Browns, for them to lose to the Cardinals and be three and three, I think that's just it, it won't sit right with a lot of people, especially with the roster that the Browns have with the start with you know, the tough start, losing to the Chiefs and then turning their season around or, you know, getting over that and winning some games. But they're gonna be without Chubb. And Hunt looks like he's questionable, so we'll see how they play. I think Baker Mayfield has to show a lot this game. The Cardinals have, you know, a pretty – they could pressure the quarterback, uh, but, you know, they still don't have, like, an elite, elite defense. I'm looking for Baker Mayfield to turn his season around. He doesn't have the best numbers. He's been struggling. Uh, A lot of people are talking about Baker Mayfield after, you know, they didn't let him go get that first down um, against the Chargers last week. It looked like they were playing – tentative it looked like they didn't believe in baker mayfield to get them that one first down that would have clinched the game i think that says a lot about baker mayfield the spotlight is on him there's a lot of speculation about um obj about odell Beckham jr being traded about baker mayfield not being able to find obj like I'm, i've seen like other shows that are all talking about how obj was open a lot of times against the chargers and baker mayfield just couldn't find him or wouldn't throw him the ball There's a lot of there's a lot of rumbling going around with the Browns, Baker Mayfield and his potential next contract. Is he the guy? Should should they try to get somebody else? Is OBJ going to get traded? Do Baker Mayfield and OBJ hate each other? There's a lot of there's a lot of noise right now with the Cleveland Browns. And I think they could quiet all that noise if they beat the Cardinals, the five and no Cardinals, the last undefeated team. I think that would just really cement the Browns as a contender. Before 4 B4-2, I imagine Baker Mayfield would have to play good for them to beat the Cardinals without Chubb and with Kareem Hunt being questionable. So this is one of those good games this week. They, I think they play at 10 in the morning too, so it looks like we're just loading up on good games at 10. Let me just double check, but I do believe that they play at 10 in the morning or 1 p.m., and no, oh, they play at one so there's a later game so if you don't have red zone and you don't you know try to watch all the games or if you only have one screen chargers versus ravens in the morning that should be the best game at 10 a.m cardinals versus brown at one or 4 p.m if you're on the east coast and there you go you have you're watching the two best games in my opinion and all of them feature afc teams so that's good for the, oh wait no the cardinals are nfc i'm tripping but Overall I think Cardinals versus Browns is gonna be a great matchup and I need to see what I'm looking forward to is seeing Baker Mayfield, how is he gonna respond? If he doesn't play good against the Cardinals, I think there's gonna be a lot of backlash and the trade deadline's coming up. So if they don't get OBJ involved, if if he has another like two catches for twenty yards, you might hear OBJ asking to get traded and he hasn't had the best numbers and he's coming out of an injury, but I'm pretty sure there will be teams out there that are going to try to get him. I, I'm even the Patriots. Like who do, OBJ would be the number one on the Patriots? He would help um, them instantly. He'll be their number one. He'll be able to stretch the, the field. So I'm looking for Baker Mayfield to spread the ball, get his get his number one wide receiver OBJ involved. They they need to like just call some wide receiver screens, some end around something. Get the ball in his hands. Let's see what he could do against the Cardinals. And this is a tough test for the Cardinals too. There's a, there's still people that are, you know, not believing with the Cardinals. They're 5 and 0. They've had some quality victories, but there's still some people that don't believe in them or are not ready to call them the best team in the NFL. If they beat the Browns convincingly, I think I think that'll go a long way to convince people that, you know, they're the real deal. International break is finally over. The Premier League is back this weekend. I'm very excited for two particular matches. Manchester United goes into King Power Stadium to play Leicester City, who are currently 13th with 8 points. Manchester United comes in with 14 points in 4th place. And now that the international break is over, I think Manchester United has to start getting wins, getting victories. They have a very tough schedule, uh, starting with Leicester. They go to Leicester, then they play Atalanta in the Champions League, then they play Liverpool and Tottenham in the Premier League, and then they go back to Atalanta in the Champions League. So those are five five straight super competitive matches that Manchester United has ahead of them. Uh, luckily for them, Rashford returns. He's a quality player. Uh, I like him a lot because he's very dynamic. He's very forward. He's very intentional with with his runs. With the ball on his foot, he, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense. He likes to dribble right at players. And that's one of the things I loved about Prime Cristiano Ronaldo one of the things I like about Rashford is when they just get the ball on the sideline and instead of going like to the to the to the corner flag or bringing it back they just start running at you and there's nothing that the defender could do except you know committing to the tackle or you know backing up backing up backing up waiting for help waiting for help and you know you either do a step over you cut to the to the touchline you cut inside you look for your strong foot you look for a curler you look for a cross I love I love when Rashford does that. I used to love when Ronaldo used to do that. He still does it a little bit, but I love it when people are direct and they run at defenders with the ball on their feet, and Rashford does that. I don't think he's going to start. I think he starts on the bench. He comes in as an impact sub. But United, they are going to be a little bit shorthanded. They're not going to have McGuire. They're not going to have um, uh, Baran. They're not going to have Beran. So Eric Bailey and Lindelof look like they're going to start. United has only lost one game in their last 15 against Leicester, their last 15 away at Leicester. And they're coming into this match with a 29 unbeaten run in away games. And Leicester just had against Burnley, just had against Crystal Palace. They're not in, they're in, in terrible form. They don't look like the Leicester of the last few years that finished fifth place back-to-back. So Brendan Rodgers has a lot of work to do. So... Like I said, United have a tough matchup. I still don't believe in Oli, so I, I kind of want to lean Leicester with the upset, but Manchester United is a very good team away. They have the way better roster. They get Rashford back, so that's an impact sub, but they need him. Um, Ronaldo's still Ronaldo. You know, he's he saved them against uh, Villarreal before the international break. He's a clutch player as ever. And like I said, if Oli wants to keep his job, he's going to have to get a lot of results in these last six matches. They're fourth right now. They're two points out of first place. I think United needs to finish first or runner-up this season and be a competitive runner-up for Oli to, you know, keep his job because the roster's there. Cristiano Ronaldo's there. They have to start making some noise. So I'm looking for Manchester United to get it together, come back strong from international break, and beat Leicester City 2-0 at leicester city so that's my prediction manchester united two. leicester zero um leicester just continues her their start to so their woeful season to after this match if my prediction comes true they'll have two wins two two ties and four losses to start the game to start the season which would not be ideal but it is what it is for Leicester they have they had a tough start to the season. It doesn't get easier with Manchester United. Manchester United as we all know they have one of the most loaded rosters in the Premier League to put Sancho to put Ronaldo to put Bruno Fernandes to put uh, Greenwood and still have Rashford on the bench to come on. That's ridiculous. So I think United you know they start this six this tough five game stretch With the victory against Leicester and and they move on to Antalanta in Champions League. But Liverpool next weekend, that might be a whole different story. But as far as this week, I think United gets the 2-0 victory against Leicester City. And the second match I wanted to highlight this week. Wolves versus Aston Villa, the West Midlands Derby. Before the international break, both of these teams uh, had a 2-1 result. Um, Dean Smith and Aston Villa lost 2-1 to Tottenham. Wolves got the 2-1 victory, the last the last uh, result for Newcastle before they got new ownership. Some people are saying that Wolves cost that. You know, we're not going to take credit, but it is a fact that the Wolves beat Newcastle 2-1 and then that next week they got new ownership. So did the Wolves cause that? We'll, we'll never know, but <laughs> not, I'm, I'm kidding. But Wolves, after a very start, uh, tough start to the season, they've won their last two. Uh, but Aston Villa have only allowed one goal at home. So they're going to be tough. Aston Villa is a tough team at home. Um, but I think Bruno is finally getting it together with the Wolves. Juan He-Chan, key, key loan for the Wolves. I'm glad they got him right before the transfer deadline in. They, they were able to secure Juan Hee chan on a loan. Him and Raul Jimenez just look like a very dynamic duo. It's giving me flashbacks of when Raul Jimenez... And Diego Jota were killing it for the wolves. I'm starting to get that same feeling from Juan Hee Chan, where both of them are good with the ball on their feet, both of them got some pace. Obviously Juan Hee Chan has way more pace, but Raul Jimenez has some speed himself. And Rahe Jimenez, you know, he's he's a good goal scorer, but that's not the only thing that he brings. He's a good postman, he's able to hold the ball, he's a good person, he like he could find players, he could get some assists, he could score his own goals, he could, you know, set up other people. As we saw with Juan Hee Chan, the two goals that he set up in their two one victory against Newcastle. So I'm looking for Wolves to you know without Trincao, Um he's out because of COVID. I think Raúl, Juan, Hechan, and um, and Traore. That's a that's a tough three to go into Aston Villa. That's going to bring a lot of pressure to their defense. So I want to say I w- I was going to go with the draw just because Aston Villa is a good home team and they have a great defense. Um, but I think I'm going to go with the 2-1 victory for the Wolves. They keep it going. They keep this momentum going. I am a Wolves fan, so I might be a little biased, take that with a grain of salt, but I do think the Wolves keep it going three wins in a row. Uh, They're going to start their, you know, they're on the right side of this international break. Uh, they get their players back. They avoided any key injuries. Jimenez didn't play the most with Mexico. He did score a goal, so he's getting his boots back. So, I do think the Wolves continue their form, come back from this international break and start with the win to, you know, carry that momentum for the rest of the season. I think the Wolves, too, Aston Villa one, And I think Raul Jimenez and Juan Heachan both score one. I think they're just starting to they're going to be one of these duos this season that you got to keep an eye out for. I saw it with Newcastle. They had some chances before this and Raul Jimenez, you know, he's getting his confidence up. He scored with the Wolves. He scores with Mexico. So I, my prediction Wolves to Aston Villa win. Indian Wells quarterfinals is in the books. We had some crazy results, crazy upset. Taylor Fritz upsets Verev in three sets. Losing the first set 6-4 and then winning 6-3, 7-6. loses to Basi Lashiv, Uh dropping the last set 6-4. And yesterday... Uh, Grigor Dimitrov beat Herkas in three sets and Cameron Norrie defeats Diego Schwartzman in straight sets so good good matchups great tennis we're almost at the end of Indian Wells it's been a great tournament I think this is the first time in Indian Wells history that the semifinals features players all four players are not in the top 25 I think Cameron Norrie is the highest seed with 26th ranking but I think it's been a great tournament, great upset. I was kind of looking forward to a versus DC Boss rematch from the Cincinnati Open, but we'll take Taylor Fritz versus Basilash. Um, great tournament by the American. Uh, he's really, you know, holding it down for the Americans. American tennis has been on a decline for the, you know, better of the 2000s or the last 10 years, especially. So for Taylor Fritz to get the victory against the number four player of the world, good for him and cameron Norrie just continues his 20, he's great 2021 he's going to be climbing he's now uh, with that victory over diego Schwartzman. he's now going to be the number one uh, um, great britain british player in the atp and grigor you know he topped out at top number three I, i've people you know keep saying that he always has one of those matches where he goes god mode and there's nothing you can do to beat him Matt saw that and now you know He goes the distance against against He gets it done. Um, That backhand, like he was, was that backhand was hot. That forehand was hot. He was playing. uh, He made like an incredible angle shot to beat Herkaz, where he like completely extends himself all the way to the right and just gets the volley over the net. Just Grigor just played some of the most beautiful to the eye game in the whole ATP. Like it's just a sight to behold. So, congrats to Dimitrov. Uh, his quest, you know, to move into the top 10 again continues. His first semifinal at Indian Wells. Cameron Norrie, like I said, he got to the final at the San Diego Open. He's now in the semifinal of Indian Wells. And, like, Taylor Fritz defeating Zverev. Tsitsipas losing, number three player in the world. It's just a bunch of upsets. Like, you love to see it. It's, it makes for good TV. It's crazy, unexpected. A lot of comebacks. A lot of crazy stuff to talk about. I would like to say this. Three out of the four in the Indian Wells semifinals competed in the San Diego Open. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov, Cameron Norrie, and Taylor Fritz were all at the San Diego Open. And now they're semifinalists at Indian Wells. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Um, If anyone from ATP is watching this, make sure to keep the San Diego Open in San Diego. It's a great warm-up. If you want to move it, um, to right before Indian Wells for next year, because Indian Wells was um, postponed because of the pandemic. Hey, be my guess but I think the San Diego open should stay in San Diego. It's obviously it's obvious that it's it's been a great warm up for Taylor Fritz, Cameron nori and Grigor. Uh, I think Dimitrov. He talked about it after his match that you know he felt good in San Diego. He felt good in the sun, and is carrying over to Indian Wells. My predictions for the semifinals: I think Taylor Fritz. Is gonna to get to the final. He's gonna hold the flag for the U.S. He's gonna represent them. Get to the finals of Indian Wells. And Grigor versus Cameron Norrie. Two very uh, Cameron Norrie has just been super consistent. Uh, Grigor, when he's on, he, he he looks like a god playing tennis. So I think that one's gonna be great. I think I'm a. i am I think I got Dimitrov versus Taylor Fritz. Um, if I were to say another comment, I wanna say is Veret. His double faults. His second serves kind of cost him the match he lost his composure against taylor fritz he let the crowd get to him he needs to work on that i thought after the victory against Djokovic in the olympics that he was just his mental strength was there that nothing is going to phase him that he could believe himself to get at himself out of any hole and today it just it, it felt like he kind of sunk back into into that hole uh i don't know if andy murray had a any impact on him because uh two matches ago he he was you know he was kind of disrespecting that second serve, moving up for the return. I don't know if that had anything, like, if that affected Ferris' psyche because he, he looked a lot, he looked very timid on that second serve. And sometimes he'll hit it super hard and he'll get it. And you're like, okay, there we go. He woke up. Like, he just got an ace on his second serve. And then that kind of set him up for for failure because he, he would think that, okay, like, if I hit it hard, I'm going to get it now because I'm hot. And then he'll he'll miss his first serve, and then instead of you know going soft on his second serve, he'll try to power it again, and he'll miss it. So he had a, he had a good amount of double faults. Uh, What's his? He had five double faults. So you know, to Taylor Fritz number three, especially in key moments when it looked like Sverev was gonna um, you know clinch the victory, uh, finish the match off, complete the set, he he struggled to do that. So Sverev got to continue to. To work on his mental game. Schwartzman. Diego Schwartzman. Shout out to Diego Schwartzman. I like representing the Short Kings. He had a great tournament. I think this is the furthest he's gone at Indian Wells. So, shout out Diego Schwartzman. Another person that competed in the San Diego Open. Dimitrov versus the That was a great match. I know Hurkaz was limping a little bit at the end. So, hopefully he's fine. Uh, he's had a great season. And he, he's probably going to compete in the ATP Finals. So, shout out to I think I think he had a good tournament too. But... Like I said, Dimitrov has been great. Last two matches, beating Medvedev, beating, beating her cast. Whew. What a, what a story. Dimitrov, um, kind of a comeback. He's finally healthy. He's looking like the old Dimitrov. So shout out to him. Um, let me know what you guys think. Indian Wells, in my opinion, has been a great tournament. A lot of upsets. First time ever that they don't have a top 25 player in the semifinals. So like like I said, it's it's been a tournament full of surprises. And to conclude this episode, I just have one thing that I want to say. I think, I don't think, I'm going to say it. I'm calling it right now. I think Andy Murray will be a top 20 player by the end of the 2022 season. He played a tough match against Varev in the round of 32. He, he even said to himself, he didn't play the best tennis. And he lost in straight sets, but both sets were tough. They were, you know, they played to the end. He played Pass tough at the U.S. Open. That one even tougher. He should have won that one. But, you know, it is what it is. He lost to Rude in the San Diego Open. Another tough match. But every time I see him play recently, his mobility is getting better. Uh, he's able to, you know, take those sharp turns, take those corners. And he had chances against Varus and Pass, number three and number four player in the world. Uh, he played them tough. He played them tougher than other people that have a way higher ranking than him. Um, it is tough right now because his ranking so low. So he's always entering these tournaments as a wild card, meaning that he's always gonna get a tough draw. He's never gonna have like a cakewalk to like the fourth or round of sixteen um, in any tournament. So it's tough. He needs to win at least a two fifty or five hundred to to move up in the rankings, and then he's able to really get like a more favorable draw at like a a major slam or or at a Masters one thousand. So he he needs to like win a two fifty or something just to try to get ranked and get an easier path. But one thing that I do see about Andy Murray he's he's open to using new tactics. Like we said, he saw he did the underhand serve first time he's ever done that in his career. Um, it worked out for him against um the Spanish uh Acuras. and he was stepping into a second serve like way up, like just kind of. Messing with Sparrow's head, just really getting under his skin, just trying anything. So I like that about Andy Murray. I think it's it's good for him. Like, obviously, with the metal hip, he's never going to have the mobility that once made him, you know. That was one of the marquee things for Andy Murray. His mobility, his great defense, being able to get to any point. We His mobility is getting better, but he's never going to be that player again with that amazing mobility, with, you know, that able to save any point. So, for him to be open to try these tactics, I think it's it's just, it goes good for Andy Murray. I think he's coachable. I think it shows that he's able to adapt. So, I think he's going to be able to adapt this game. And he just keeps getting better and better. He played tough against the number two. He played tough against the number, I mean, the number three and the number four player in the world. So, I have big hopes for Andy Murray in 2022. And maybe this is just me, like, being a fan. I like, I like, um, He's funny on social media. He looks like he's a stand-up guy. He, he always, you know, defends women's tennis and woman player. So I think I might just be a fan of him. I might just be a fan of the person, Andy Murray. But I, I truly believe that he does have the capability to be a top 20 player in 2022. So I, I'm calling it right here. I think Andy Murray will be a top 20 player in 2022. And, you know, some people might call me crazy. And, you know, a lot of people counted him out once he got that hip surgery. But nowadays we're kind of just talking about his game and how he he had chances he could you know he couldn't finish a break point or he should have served better or and that's I think that's a step in of itself we're not just talking about like oh he couldn't finish a match you know he had a walkover he he looked stiff out there he looked like he couldn't move I think we're past that we're in the next stage in his comeback so I'm glad for Andy Murray I I, I like I like seeing him play tennis I like him being active I like him going. I like seeing his name on these draws. So, like I said, Andy Murray will be a top 20 player in 2022. But with that said, that should wrap it up for the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 69. Thank you so much for staying to the end. If you stay to the end, and have a great rest of your day.